ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Linda Margolin Royal's debut novel, The Star on the Grave, is a poignant story inspired by the courageous actions of a Japanese diplomat, Chun Sugihara. Against orders, Sugihara defied the Nazis, saving thousands, including Linda's family. Serving in Lithuania during World War II, he issued life-saving visas to Jewish refugees, a revelation that Linda uncovered in 2008. Spanning two pivotal eras... The narrative takes us us to 1940s Lithuania and 1960s in Australia. And at its core is Rachel Margul, a woman whose life becomes entwined with the echoes of history. Her engagement unveils a long-standing family mystery. The Margols are, indeed, the Margolins, a Jewish family concealing their identity. And as Rachel tries to understand this new truth, the story unfolds exploring the complexities of family and the impact of hidden secrets. And her engagement becomes the starting point for a journey that takes her to Japan, where she meets Sugihara, the man who played a crucial role in her family's history. So I'm delighted to to welcome Linda Margolin Royal to the studio. Uh, Linda, good evening to you. Welcome to Nightlife. Thank you very much, and good evening. What was it like when you found out about the life-saving visas that your family received from Sugihara in 2008? It was quite extraordinary. Uh, My brother was visiting from overseas and said, Dad's about 80 now, let's interview him Mm -hmm. because he might not be around for much longer. And uh, so he started the process and he was recording him. And then he ran up to me and said, have you ever heard of some guy called Sugihara? And I said, who's that? And he said, well, apparently he gave our family visas and that's why they were in Japan in 1940. And I thought, wow. So um, I was in advertising at the time, writing TV commercials and whatnot, Mm. and I thought, oh, I always wanted to write a movie, and I thought, well, there's my story. It's it's an amazing story, isn't it? It's it's um, it has parallels else in in other stories, I I, I suppose too. But tell tell us about this. This is Chihune Sugihara. He he's what he's working in the Japanese embassy there in Lithuania, is he? Yes, so under the guise of a consul, but mm-hmm. he was actually spying for the Japanese government who were allies with Nazi Germany Correct. and um, monitoring troop movements between the Russians and the Germans and so, um, I guess, reporting back. And so he was stationed there from, I believe, 1938. Yeah. And then end of 1939, like my family, Polish Jewish refugees started flooding across from Poland into, into, Lithuania. into Lithuania. Yeah, a lot of them had family like-minded in Vilna, mm-hmm. Vilnius, um, which I think was the capital then. And he was in Kaunas, and uh, with another diplomat, a Dutch gentleman called Jan Zwartendijk, and the two of them in cahoots, without realizing it, uh, ended up saving six thousand Jews from the Holocaust. Wow. Yeah. So, so what? He he gave so he gives them visas and but visas to go to Japan. Really. Yes. So how the story goes, and I'll try and keep it brief because it's quite involved. But there were a Dutch couple who couldn't go back to the Netherlands because the Nazis had invaded, and they wanted to get to the U.S. But they found a Dutch colony called Curacao, mm-hmm. uh, where you only needed papers. And so they approached the Dutch consul, Jans Wartendijk, and said, can you get us there? And he said, yes, I can issue you papers, but you need to transit via Japan. So you'll have to go down the road to the Japanese consul and get a transit visa. 
So all the end destinations of these visas had Curacao and they were transit visas through Japan, but none of these people ever made it to Curacao. They all ended up in Japan and then they were placed with family or whoever all over the world, wherever. um, What did the Japanese think about this when they arrived in Japan? Uh, so the Japanese are famously not particularly receptive to to people from outside the rest of the world. Well, they were extraordinary. According, my father was twelve. Um, he remembers them fondly. Mm. And in my research, uh, all the survivors they they said it was like Shangri La. Mm. Um, it was beautiful. It was welcoming. They were gentle, calm, um, very accepting of them. There was exotic fruits. They just and they travelled. Um, and they lived with expats. So this is in 1940? 1940. So it's the the beginning of the, well, not quite the beginning of the Pacific War. So, yes. So, um, look, they were hardworking. They were no trouble. They were industrious, and um, there was already a a small but well-established Jewish community in Kobe, and they were absorbed into that. Because that's right, because there wasn't the same attitude towards Jews in Japan and the Jewish uh, emigrate communities in Japan as there was in, in Europe, obviously, was there? No. Well, actually, um, the story goes that the butcher of Warsaw, uh, Meisinger, Joseph Meisinger, went across and consulted with the Japanese government and said, hey, you know, we'd like to implement the final solution here. And they didn't quite understand why. Uh, they were quite pragmatic about it and said, well, they're industrious, they're smart, they're good at business, they're... Um, they're, they're actually an asset to society. Why would mm. we do that? Mm. Um, and that when they were considering it, the rabbis also um, went across and said, look, we're not Aryan. You're not Aryan. You're Asian. Guess who's next? Mm. And they went, mm, you've got a point there. So they said no to Germany. Uh, they didn't feel like participating in the final solution and exterminating Jews. So the Jews were saved. So were saved, yeah. It's a remarkable story in a way, isn't it? So, so Sugihara would give you a transit visa through Japan onto to a Dutch enclave, but of course, no one ever got to the Dutch enclave. They once once your family and others were in Japan. How did they get out of Japan, though? To, okay. To ask so uh, there was a an organisation, and it's still in existence, and they're extremely proactive in helping Jewish refugees, and they have been throughout. Uh, history, I don't know how far back, but they were certainly active then, called the Joint Distribution Committee, the JDC. I Mm. think their headquarters were in New York. And they um, organised financial aid and they also um, acted in a pragmatic manner and they came in and tried to place these refugees with family, friends, whoever, in various countries around the world. I had two uncles who were studying in Paris in 1935 and for whatever reason, I can't answer, because they're not alive anymore, they decided Australia would be a cool place to come and live. And so they were already in Sydney and they sponsored my grandmother, who was their sister, yeah. out um, and said that they were of uh, financial means to support the family. Others went to um, to Israel, then Palestine. Um, they went to America, but there were very few being offered visas to America, Canada, India, um, UK, all over the show. I think some even went to South Africa. There were 900 left that they couldn't place and they ended up in Shanghai in the ghetto there. There was a Jewish Mm -hmm. ghetto in Shanghai with the Shanghai Jews and uh, that was when the Japanese realised Pearl Harbour was imminent and they knew they needed to get refugees out. Okay. 
So from the from the ghetto in Shanghai, people could get out of there, could they? Um, they were offered uh, they were offered um, visas or temporary residency mm. or wherever after the war, I think, but mm. not till forty six or forty seven. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. It's an amazing story. Uh, I'm talking with Linda Margolin Royal about her novel, The Star on the Grave, which is based on uh, actual happenings concerning the Japanese, a Japanese diplomat, Chihune Sugihara, who was based in, in Lithuania, as uh, Linda was saying, essentially as a spy. But he did, he did well, he signed the papers for, for people to get visas to go to Japan, essentially, which saved the lives of thousands of people, including, your, of course, your, um, your grandparents, without whom there would be no Linda, mm. uh, obviously, as, as well. It's, tell me about, the, tell me about the, 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 your, the character in your, your novel, Rachel. What, how does, how does, how, what, what's her journey in this book? So her journey is um, she's the daughter of uh, Michael Margolin, who he's shortened his name to Margol hmm. because of fear of persecution in their new homeland, which a lot of people did. They a lot wanted of, to... lot of Jewish people did this, didn't they? Yeah. And um, non Jews, I just think for ease, they wanted to assimilate, they wanted to Australianize themselves, Anglicize right. themselves. Um, and so they wanted to be absorbed into the community um, without persecution, but particularly for the Jews without, you know, without racial persecution and anti-Semitism. Mm. So they were scared of that. So I've created a character that has been brought up not knowing she's Jewish, gone to a Catholic school. They don't really follow anything in particular. Um, and she becomes engaged to a Greek Orthodox doctor. And on mm. hearing that, her grandmother, who was against them hiding their Jewish faith, uh, has a meltdown and says to her son, Rachel's father, I can't allow this. Um, we've lost hundreds of our family members in the Holocaust. She needs to know. Mm. And so they reveal it to a horrified Rachel. Um, and then word gets out to Felka, her grandmother, that Sugihara has been located in Moscow in 1968 and there's to be a reunion in Japan of survivors to thank the man to whom they all owe their lives. Mm. What happened to Sugihara? Hmm. <laughs> Sugihara... Did he survive the war? He did survive the war, but not in great condition um, financially and work-wise. So he got... He was put in a, um, a labour camp hmm. with his family in Bucharest, Romania, for 18 months. He went back to Japan in 1947. He was stripped of his title, hmm. um, quietly dismissed. I don't know whether they gave a reason, but it was always assumed because he had a list like Schindler... Mm. Um, with 2,139 names of Jewish refugees on it, that he did a no-no because they were allies with Germany. And he had asked them three times for permission and three times they had said under no condition are you to issue visas to these people. Yeah, and he defied orders. Yeah. There are great parallels with Oscar Schindler, aren't there? I know Tom Keneally <laughs> Tom Keneally's, um, is, is full of praise for your book, and rightly so, too, <laughs> uh, because there are some parallels here with Oscar Schindler. There? there are parallels. Every every one of these individuals who were non-Jews that risked their lives to save Jewish souls is honoured by the Israeli Holocaust Museum Yad Vashem as a righteous among the nations. Mm. Uh, Schindler is one. Sugihara is one. There are uh, hundreds of them. The difference being that 
Schindler was a profiteer and he was using cheap or free labour and working in cahoots with the Germans. But nothing can take away from the fact that he saved 1,200 Jewish lives at great risk. Um, However, Sugihara had no agenda at all other than it was the right thing to do. He just had an incredibly... So he was sympathetic, was he? He was was sympathetic to the plight of the Jewish people at the time. Yes, but... um, it wasn't new to him. He had a very strong moral compass, and so he had uh, demonstrated this before in his life. He was the head of the Manchurian Railway Project and doing extremely well in in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, when he was over there, he saw terrible brutality towards the Chinese by the Japanese, yeah. and he quit, despite the fact that he was doing exceptionally well. So he he had a very very strong moral compass. Yeah, we, we, what happened to him in the end? He, he just what he died in Japan. No, he couldn't find meaningful work there. I'm very closely connected with his only surviving son Nabuki, mm-hmm. so um, I used him as a reference point to make sure everything was as accurate as possible to the memory of his father. Um, and he said he couldn't find meaningful work. He got um, job with apparently with a petroleum company in Moscow because he was fluent in Russian. And this was a man that wanted to do something meaningful. He had mm. a brain and he wanted to use it. I don't know whether he was doing that or whether there was something else going on uh, because of his background in diplomatic relations. Um, and then he lived away from his family for 20 years until he was located by a survivor in 1968. And um, he only went back to Japan once a year for a week at a time to visit his family. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's an astonishing story. The Star on the Grave is the book, and it's written by uh, my guest, author Linda Marglin Royal, which uh, tells in, in novel form, I guess, but it's based on the story of Chihune Sugihara and what happened against orders when he issued visas to Japan to more than a thousand Jewish people who were escaping the ravages of, of Poland and Nazi Germany at the time. And due to Sugihara's bravery, actually, uh, well, Linda's here, along, along with many other <laughs> generations of Jewish people uh, as well. Yes. What does Nabuki think about it now? What does Nabuki Sugihara think about his father? Oh, extremely Proudly. proud, extremely yeah. proud. Uh, he gets uh, asked a lot about his father. He gets mm. contacted by all of us survivors and descendants regularly to thank him um, and to show gratitude. And uh, there are streets named after him. Uh, there are memorials, monuments all over the place, a lot of them in Israel and in Japan. And he uh, used to regularly give talks. I don't know if he does so much anymore, but yeah, ex- exceptionally mm. proud. Those visas that your father and grandparents received, two of them at least, are in the National Archives of Australia, you found out. They are. (laughs) How did they get there? Yes. Well, my interpretation of how they got there, and um, I have a lawyer that agrees with that because we're in a bit of a battle to try and... Because you'd like to get them back. Well, um, I've managed to get them on temporary loan. I want to give them to the Sydney Jewish Museum um, Mm. so they can educate 24-7 and build an exhibit around righteous among the nations, individuals who have uh, saved Jews. So uh, a friend of mine who's a genealogist, when I was doing a lot of research and social media publishing photos of my family, said, you keep on using the same things. Why don't you have a little look in the archives? You might find they've got some interesting documents. And the very first thing I found when I opened this file that had been closed for 80 years 
were the two visas that my father thought had been destroyed how, or lost. How did they get there? So they got there, I believe, they were on pieces of paper. Some of the Sugihara visas were actually in the passports. Mm. But I believe that my grandfather would have been paranoid um, having it in the passport. And I do remember my father saying he wanted it on a separate piece of paper in case they needed to escape. And they were only given six months temporary entry into Australia. So I'm assuming they thought, oh, well, we don't, you know, we'll, we'll just give them these as proof of identification. They had passport photos on the back. And mm. then at least we get to keep our Polish passports. Because in 1941, nobody knew how long the war was going to go mm. on. Yeah. yeah. And they had an end destination of Curacao in case they needed to escape. <laughs> yeah. It does your head in sometimes. It does. <laughs> the journeys that people take. Look, consider it. The Star on the Grave is the is the the book. It's a, it's a novel. My the author's been Linda Margolin Royal. People say about other things, you could not make this stuff up. No. But it's uh, it is quite an extraordinary story. Uh, Linda, terrific to have you in the studio with us, and thanks for talking. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife. Yeah.